It's the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. The National Security Hour exposes the wolves in sheep's clothing and their nefarious plots to undermine and destroy U.S. national security. Welcome, everyone. This is Colonel Rhett John on the National Security Hour for America Out Loud News Network. And uh, we have a, a very special guest today, uh, Bill Walton, who uh, I've, I've met and uh, is, uh, is probably a well-known figure to a number of you. Um, he's, now, uh, he's now on the Committee on Present Danger uh, along with me and uh, also the Center for Security Policy, where I'm a senior fellow. So uh, very honored to have you on and meet you for the first time at our, at our meeting in January. Uh, but uh, Bill, uh, it's Bill Walton, and so Bill, I, I just thank you so much for being on the podcast, and and just uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how you uh, your journey to get to be Bill Walton over the last uh, few years. Well, in the first place, I'm not the I'm not the basketball player. <laughs> he came along and borrowed my name, and I grew up in Indiana, and. I did play basketball, and I brag that I think I probably had a better jump shot than he did. <laughs> uh, but, but setting that aside, I, you know, my primary skill set is uh, I was CEO of a New York Stock Exchange company for about 14 years. We were in the private equity, commercial real estate, uh, venture capital business. We had about $10 billion of capital under management, and... Uh, you know, I before that I'd done stints on Wall Street as an investment banker, and before that as a commercial banker, spent some time in a couple of private equity firms, and so my, I guess uh, my DNA is uh, is finance, and also, you know, being a CEO of a public company, and I'm very happy I'm no longer CEO of a public company. <laughs> it's gotten to be, it's gotten to be quite a Quite a tough, tough, tough road to go. You know, the number of public companies in America uh, has fallen dramatically in the last 15, 20, 30 years because of uh, the re increasing regulation and, and changes in capital market rules, which makes it hard for investment bankers to uh, make money trading uh, small cap stocks. So it's, it's, it's a very different world now from when I, uh, from when I got started. And I've also served on various boards, policy boards, arts boards. I was on the AEI board and Heritage. And as you mentioned, I'm now on Frank Gaffney's board, Center for Security Policy and Brent Bozell's Media Research Center. And for a while, I was a president of the Council for National Policy, which is a um, an aggregation of about 400 uh, conservative uh, political action uh, groups and think tanks. And so I've been, I've been fairly immersed in in the policy world in the last uh, 10, 15, 10, 12 years since uh, we merged Allied Capital in uh, 2010. Wow. Wow. I uh, Very interesting, Bill. I got a couple of questions for you. First of all, a little bit about, you know, I'm a career national security guy. I'm, I'm almost 40 years, one, one shape, size, form, or another in uniform as a civilian um, defending America, mostly ex uh, focusing on the external threat. It was about 2007, John Grimes, the, the Bush political appointee who was the 
Department of Defense Chief Information Officer. I work for him and, and him and uh, 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 I work actually for Bob Lentz, the Deputy Assist Assistant Secretary of Defense for Cybersecurity and uh, came from NSA and they came, called me in. They wanted me to be the uh, DOD lead for the Comprehensive National Cybersecurity Initiative. And part of that component was I had to learn about venture capital and innovation in Silicon Valley. And I go, what does that have to do with anything? I mean, I, I <laughs> and I learned a, a lot, but I started heading to Silicon Valley and Sand Hill and uh, all the different venture capital firms. And I started to realize, oh my, this is kind of important. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Well, you're, you're fortunate to get exposed to that because it matters a lot. I mean, if you understand what's happening in venture capital and, you know, new business formation, but also uh, you mentioned cybersecurity. I mean, there's a lot, a lot coming out now about how the uh, social media companies, we always thought this, but now we're seeing a lot of proof that they've been uh, acting uh, in concert with a lot of the security agencies to, uh, to to monitor the rest of us and so uh, it's probably good you know that. <laughs> well, I'm. Uh, yeah, I didn't didn't let you. I, su I assume we're being surveilled here, so that's but that's all right. I we we have to <laughs> presume surveillance at all times. I well, the CNCI <laughs> program was the foundations for the modern mass surveillance system, but it was done under legal purposes. But it's it's totally spun out of control, and I'm a. I am a, a material witness to the Colorado, or excuse me, the Missouri and Louisiana and the Texas cases that are in front of the Supreme Court right now. I didn't let you know about that, but yeah, that's uh, a, a lot of that derived from what I helped set up starting in 2007. That's Jay Padachara and then Aaron, uh, uh, I can't pronounce, Karate, Karate, and this is Missouri v. Biden? Yes, Missouri v. Biden. Yeah, that's that's a very important case. Yeah, well, I've I've uh, spent a lot of time and money uh, having my lawyers prepare a filing. So as soon as SCOTUS hopefully rules in the favor of the American people, uh, going to run down to Alexandria Federal Court and and uh, and immediately uh, submit a filing because I think uh, this is going to help out a lot of Americans if SCOTUS rules in the favor of the American people. Would you really think we can put that surveillance genie back in the bottle? It seems like it's pervasive. Um, we may win the case, and we may see we may have a bright light shine, shown on all the uh, all the bad stuff that's been happening. But I still don't see I don't see a lot of change coming out of it. Well, what I've seen, and I sat at the White House uh, at the end of Bush, beginning of Obama, and Obama, we went through the review of the whole surveillance program, and and they not only gave it thumbs up, they grabbed every possible five-gallon jug of gasoline and poured it on top of it because they loved it. It's intoxicating when you realize yeah. the power, and, and we were exponentially growing every year. I can't get into a whole lot of details. We were exponentially growing, and you could see the trend line in the, in the capabilities was just intoxicating, and I saw it over and over again. People said, and this is the problem with some of our, our and we did this in full, uh, you know, the, the House uh, uh, Intelligence Committee, the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, they, they were all in on it. They love everybody loved it. Everybody loved it. Well, you know, and the but question is not it, it evolved from could we? We answered that question technically, 
yes, we could, but then nobody stopped to bother and ask the question, should we or do yeah, we need to put the brakes on this? The problem is the the other the other team watches us and they copy everything they do and they say, Well, hey, the Americans are doing this. What's why can't we? Well, the Chinese have been have been ahead of the curve on that one for a long time. So have the Russians. I mean it's just uh it's uh it's it's the wild west out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so I'm a career national security guy. We have instruments of national power, dime or dime fill, and that's where the economics and finance are so important. And what do you what do you see? This is what I see as a challenge. Those should be used first and foremost. Trump knew how to use them, but what's why doesn't the Biden team know how to use the the financial instruments of national power? Well, in the first place. There's not a single person in the Biden administration that spent any time in the private sector, nobody in business, nobody from Wall Street. And I say nobody, maybe maybe it's 97 percent. There might be somebody there. Uh, so they don't know the world of, of commerce and, and capital markets, except coming from universities which are hostile to it or other other political activism jobs like that. Every single cabinet minister minister. Uh, um, uh, head as, as either professional politician or academic or coming out of uh, uh, a think tank. So they don't know that world. And the other thing is that the United States always and forever has been stovepiped with uh, economic activity totally separate from what the State Department was doing and not so much, pretty much with the, uh, with the Defense Department. And there's always been this... Uh, distaste on the right or conservatives we don't want industrial policy we want a free market don't don't tell us what to do and then the on the other side from say the state department they had contempt for business and they never really saw that we had a common interest in promoting uh america around the world and that economics was tightly integrated into uh, our strategic objectives um, china on the other hand you can hardly tell the difference between the private sector and the Chinese Communist Party, and they integrate everything. What is it? The, the, it, was, it was the first, it was the three warfares, four warfares, and I think they probably got five warfare strategy where the, with Belt and Road Initiative, they actually, they explicitly use economic, uh, uh, economic incentives to, to bring, uh, countries and leaders of countries into their orbit and they've been very successful in in um, central and south america and also uh, in africa and many places interestingly they're not so successful in their own backyard most of the most of the countries surrounding china know the chinese and and don't like them all that well and so they've been they haven't been as easily lured into their orbit um, and you know there's a i think there's a real need now for somebody who our next president and and you know i'm for all his uh you know i think trump would do the best job as president flat out and better than any of the other republican candidates right now and certainly better than biden and i think he would bring some of that uh, uh cohesion back into it i'm friends with bob lighthizer who's his trade representative very very brilliant guy understands how trade is strategically linked to America's interests. So 
Um, but but for historical reasons, the free market versus the the government has been it's been ideological, um, and we just haven't been very good at it. Yeah, yeah, I I the blue team, and I'm not being partisan, but they they they're they're you know they come with these these big degrees, the Belfer Center, and they want to lecture everybody on everything, and I just you know you Navarro Trump others showed and taught me the importance where the financial and the economic instruments of national power that they're the most powerful and yet the blue team they always seemed their first choice is the m instrument of national power or military and it's like no 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 yeah it's a that, that's a, that's a hammer going after you know an infinitesimal nail it, it's it's it is so wrong, and then default to, to military forces our last option. Um, and you know, the for Ukraine, for example, there was a negotiation, there was a deal to be made there early on. We didn't have to get into this. Uh, um, we might, you know, we not might not like every aspect of it, but it would be certainly better than what we're into now. And that's not my area of expertise, but we're. Uh, we're, we're, we're paying a price for the Democrats' obsession with their agenda, and their agenda has nothing to do with national security, as I see it. Um, their agenda is climate change and mm -hmm. the, the, the horrors that they feel that the temperature rising a half a degree is going to cause. Uh, I think you can tell from the way I slanted that I don't share their concern. And the other obsession is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And... Uh, you know, I spent some time working on the plan for the U.S. Treasury first in 2016, working in President Trump's transition team. And then I was asked again by Steve Moore to help out with the plan he wrote for Heritage for 2024. And you go on the Treasury web website under Janet Yellen and you look in vain, really, for an economic or a national security agenda. Instead, she's got climate. She has five objectives, five strategic objectives for Treasury, and I believe uh, bringing about uh, or arresting climate change is number one, and DEI is is number two or three on the list. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. And you know, you you take those thoughts, you go out into the world. If you're if you go and negotiate with China and you want to talk about China about climate change, China China's building a a coal plant every week, maybe two a week now. Um, they're not concerned with the climate agenda, so we go over and negotiate for climate agenda, climate uh, concessions, and <laughs> their aim is quite different. They'll give us that, knowing they're never going to go along with it. So we're not advancing um, our cause uh, because their their worldview about the biggest danger on the planet is, is climate, not China, nor Iran, nor uh, nor even Russia. And then of the DEI agenda, we have state departments or uh, embassies around the world. And, you know, they're all they're all uh, flying the, the gay pride flag. And that doesn't come off very well in a lot of Middle Eastern countries or Africa or, and then many of the Central and South American countries. So we're already injecting cultural biases into our dealings with the rest of the world as if we're the hegemon. And we, I, I think we no longer are the global hegemon. I mean, maybe, sort of, maybe, but what we're doing to 
destroy the uh, the the dollar as the reserve currency. It's almost if you wanted to line up uh, four or five things to do that would that would weaken it. Uh, th those are the things we're doing. Yeah, that's what everybody says. Well, they're they're doing it intentionally, and I. I Having to, been with a lot of the Obama-Biden folks and sitting at the White House for a time with the, the Biden team, they, uh, I always put them in thirds. A third are bought off and corrupt. Okay, they are literally bought off um, by China. They're very smarmy about it, may not realize it. A third are just ideologically back guano crazy. You can't even have a rational conversation with them. <laughs> and then a third of them are... They mean well, and they act. You can actually, they're they're okay to talk to, but you know, some of the worst things in human history have been done by people who mean well. So it's kind of the, the, the three groupings I put them in. But uh, it just, I, it baffles me. They they just they just don't understand this the economics and financial aspect, and it just it just baffles me on this. <laughs> Well, they've never had to. I mean, they never made their career understanding that, and they came up mostly through universities, which uh, which had real contempt for capitalism, and so their 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 biases against the markets and against capitalists are profound. And uh, you know, they get into the job. I mean, look at the head of the uh, Federal Trade Commission. I mean, she's she's fighting mergers among uh, companies as if there's going to be concentration of market power and they're like the seventh and eighth companies in their industry and it's just she's chasing things it's like she thinks she's chasing the the robber barons of the 19th <laughs> century and that's 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 not the world we're living in now so <laughs> those, those those robber barons it's their, you know, it's their yeah, they're otherworldly by the way the robber baron book was written by a very very dug in uh, marxist who who hated uh hated the private hated the, this was in 1890 or something like that and even then we had people who hated capitalism oh wow wow well uh, bill this is absolutely awesome here we're coming up, up to the end of this this first segment uh, we're going to dig into this some more but thank you so much and everyone this is uh, uh colonel rhett john with uh, my special guest bill walton on the National Security Hour for America Out Loud News Network. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Today's high stress on the go lifestyle makes it hard to stay heart healthy. Lifestyle changes like exercise and diet are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support three aspects of heart health, cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides, with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients. You would need to take 13 pills to get the same amount of nutrients in each gel pack. And these great-tasting gels come in a small packet. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. 
You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution. The miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase, the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. We're back. This is Carl Rat John, the National Security Hour for America Out Loud News Network. And uh, uh, on with my very special guest, Bill Walton, who is just a, a ma- magnificent expert on uh, everything uh, business and economic and financial. And uh, Bill, we were we were talking a little bit there about Singapore and Prime Minister Lee Kuan Yew, and you have one of his books there. And what what do you think about him? I mean, is is that guy great or what? I think Lee Kuan Yew is one of the greatest leaders in history. And he took a essentially a a country that was had no natural resources, and the population was uneducated. It uh, didn't speak much English. It was really completely, uh, in, in my old world of, of private equity, it's what would be called a turnaround. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he he stepped in, and, and one of the first things he did is re, he, re, he knew he wanted to make it a commercially economic success, and so he mandated that everybody in Singapore learn to speak English, recognizing that that was the language of business and diplomacy and science. And he also developed rigorous academic programs with the STEM, um, you know, science, technology, uh, I can't remember, EM, uh, math, whatever, the, uh, the, hard, the hard curriculum. And so we get a lot of his people educated in that. And this, he was not, I guess you'd call a, he didn't believe in democracy all that much. He had a very bleak bleak view of human nature. But having said that, he set up conditions where everybody could succeed. And he was one of those uh, benevolent dictators that we all long for. You almost never get them, but he was one in 100, did that. And he took um, uh, Singapore to where, I guess, what's the per capita income or disposable income per person is, what, fifty, sixty thousand $60,000, which is... Uh, you know, on a par with uh, with Europe, and uh, and he was, uh, and he did it in a way that everybody in the in the country. I mean, he he was a stickler for keeping the streets clean. I mean, we don't send this guy to San Francisco; it's dead. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we need we need a guy like Lee Kuan Yew in America's big cities because he he understood how to. How to how to how to run things, and he and he and, and it's not like he was oppressing people. He wasn't particularly, but he certainly made conditions where they could all um, get rich and and thrive and 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 and, and enter the modern world. And and uh, and the country still is still um, living um, living on that long after he's been gone. 
Yeah, yeah. I, uh... But there are lessons in there about what you can do to make an economy work. And it doesn't have to do with natural resources. It's it's human capital. It always is, always has been. And uh, he understood that in um, in a way that was uncanny mm-hmm. and, um, and tried to develop everybody in the country to what their maximum potential could be. Very interesting strategy. Yeah, I the, the English, a lot of people, even in the national security world, don't realize that is an English-speaking country. And I'll tell you a quick story. I, I got in trouble for it, but I, I think it was the right thing to do. <laughs> is uh, I used to have to meet with Singaporeans pretty regularly. And uh, um, we have this relationship called Five Eyes, Five English-Speaking Nations. Uh, so uh, UK, Australia, Canada, New Zealand. That's our closest relationship. And um, so I was talking to a senior, per- very senior person in the Singaporean government, and I'm just just saying, this is, I'm just throwing this out there. This is a crazy thought, but uh, you're, you're a formal English-speaking country, what do you guys think about being part of five eyes calling it six eyes and you know for so first of all and they have a great sense of humor that's why i love working with the singaporeans that you can you can have they have great sense of humor um and they first of all their their jaws just about dropped and they go john we thought that was the white man's club (laughs) nobody ever told me that (laughs) but I mean, I bet they are all about action, action, action. And within yeah. a nanosecond, the defense minister was calling up the uh, secretary of defense, demanding to be let into the five eyes. And I got, I got schwacked for that. But it's a little, hey, I just said. I think it's brilliant. I mean, you would have been, it's never about race. It's always about culture. And it's always about skills. It's not, it's, it's, that's the thing It makes me crazy about all this racial division now it's not about race it's about your values yeah yeah they were they, they were just kidding when they said that but they <laughs> they're all about action i mean they they will wear you wear you out because every other country it'll take years to work on the slightest detail they are all about closing the deal closing the deal but they immediately and it makes sense hey five eyes now there we do have them in a, a five eyes plus arrangement now uh which is good but uh, but they're 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 just great. Uh, but yeah, they as soon as I said that because I knew they were I knew they what were. Did they, what did they think about the Chinese? Well, so they, it's very having sat in a number of times with their defense minister when when he greets an American delegation. The first thing they always say is uh, they say this. Oh, this they always say this, and there's a very deep meaning to this. They said we may be Chinese, but there's a reason we aren't in China they are on our side of the team uh, ledger i can tell you that right now they are you, there's several things you don't do in singapore you don't bring drugs into the country uh, you don't uh you don't be malfeasant uh, uh uh you will be you will be you'll be arrested for any any form of corruption a ferocious ferocious corruption anti uh, anti-corruption laws so you don't spy for the chinese you don't bring drugs into the country you don't take kickbacks you will be uh, uh you'll you'll it won't end well uh, well for you i can just tell mm. you that and i know that personally and, and very closely they they will they will take care of business um they do have this thing with due process. I think we got to do have a little more thing about due process. But you, you don't spy for the Chinese. You don't. You don't. Uh, um, you don't take drugs into the country, and you don't. 
you don't uh, don't take bribes it'll it'll end bad bad for you <laughs> so uh um you can you can trust them they're on our team well that's uh, well that sounds like an incredibly healthy set of policies <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we, you know we've had you know i grew up in the 60s i've even briefly for about six months was a hippie and um, had had the long hair and it didn't didn't take too long before i decided to go to business school <laughs> but you know you can overdo the freedom piece of things and i think we have in this country have paid a price for uh thinking anything goes and you've got to have disciplines and i think we've under emphasized the role of character Mm -hmm. in, in both personal character and 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 a count and a country's character and lee kuan yu was all about character and he thought that there were personal virtues and personal vices and he did not want those personal vices to be part of uh part of singapore and he enforced it and you know got criticism from the libertarians and from from people who wanted to be uh, you know anything goes but i think he's proven that if you be if you do certain things and you don't do others you end up being successful oh they're very clear they because i have talked to them a lot of their senior officials at length about this and they say john look if we allow if we give an inch to the communists it'll be over it'll be over and we are surrounded by moral threats and we have to be extremely strict about this. But I mean, this anti-corruption thing, I love it. It's just, it, it, it is a virtue and it's an expectation. It's, it's shameful in that society. I mean, even getting free parking uh, is, is considered corruption. I mean, everything has to be documented everywhere. You cannot accept a, a, a freebie uh, of anything. And, and they have a for I can't remember the name. They have a great website. It's the name of their anti-corruption police. But I always told me we have a very similar force and entity in our in our system. It's called Hawaii Five O, and they always would get a kick. They always thought that was pretty funny. It's <laughs> <That is> good. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, yeah, no, I've, uh, you don't take uh, they, they 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 will they will come in and arrest you if you've uh, you have your hand in the cookie jar. I've, I've, uh, very intimately aware of seeing that happen <laughs> so uh um yeah 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 bill yeah what a great uh it what a great system i just i just i just love the singaporeans and they love america and they love trump uh they love trump so it, well, you know it's interesting we we i'm i'm also on the board of cpac we've got a meeting coming up this week and we're, we'll have trump there of course but We've also been holding CPAC conferences uh, in, around the world, in Japan, and in Hungary, in Brazil. Um, the list goes on and on and on. And it's it's interesting. You hold a CPAC conference in Japan, and the Japanese show up with their MAGA hats on. Yeah. And there is a movement worldwide uh, among ordinary people to uh, for more freedom and more... Uh, more personal freedom and I think more discipline in a in a society that rewards the vir the virtues and so we'll have uh, this conference we've got the president of El Salvador coming and also uh, uh, recently elected president Mili uh, wow, of Argentina awesome. uh, and I love what he calls himself he calls himself an anarcho capitalist <laughs> and and uh, when I learned about that it comes from Murray Rothbard who was a 
great economist. And Murray came up with the term. And so now I, I kind of like that. It's a, a narco-capitalism. And it's basically a free market. It's um, allowing, it's, it's, it's less government, more private sector, and, and letting, letting innovation uh, flourish. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, Milai, uh, he's awesome. What is it? Afuera, afuera. You know. Oh, he's great. Well, you know, I think he was a lead singer in the uh, the Rolling Stones cover band, so yep. he was also doing knockoffs of Mick Jagger. Oh wow, wow. <laughs> he's going to need it because that country is 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 just terrible, and and of course, so many half the country was 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 living well or well enough on. On a, corrupt, on a corrupt socialist system. And, you know, what he'll say is, is that uh, it, um, the socialism has seeped into the souls of too many Argentinians. And, you know, how he gets that turned around and gets people thinking they want to be in the private sector building businesses and things like that is a very interesting question. Wow. wow. I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for him. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. There's a Chinese ground station about middle country. Uh, we got to, hopefully he asked them to leave because it's a lot more than just a ground station for satellites. And then they got this mysterious Antarctic research station that's shown up on the tip of uh, Argentina. Yeah. Was this near the Falklands or is this a different? Uh... It's even further south. It's about as yeah. far south as you can go. Um, uh, everybody, most everybody else has has their polar uh, Antarctic research on the other side, uh, south of New Zealand. Uh, yeah, nothing good is this. There's, might now be honest. My concern is they've hidden missiles there, and uh, as as the Panama Canal goes through a crisis of water levels and only can pass eighteen ships a day. Um, people are go. They're finding it more economically uh, expedient to go north or south. Uh, you know, our American Navy will have to go south. Awfully coincidental. Suddenly, there's a Chinese Antarctic research station. Uh, I, think, I think something else is going on there. <laughs> well, they're laying they're laying the groundwork for uh, for. Um... Who knows what? I mean, but they're certainly laying. They're they're certainly putting a lot of pieces in places. How they operationalize it, I don't know. But it's uh, you know you ask about. I don't think you asked in the break or whether you brought it up here. But Americans doing business in China have seen a complete sea change in the attitudes among the Chinese. You know, we were welcomed in. Oh, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And the whole theory was that we were all, you know, the U.S. establishment was all for multinationals and finance companies going into China, and they did. And I think at this point now, I think Starbucks has more stores in China than they do here in the United States. But then the winds of change have started blowing, and G's got a completely different regime. And it's, uh, and, and this bears on your, your comment about a, a naval base and, near the Antarctic, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're overtly hostile. And yeah, there is, and China is not a place you really want to do business anymore if you ever did. I mean, I always call, I was in the private equity business and I never would let us do anything in China because I could see how we could put our money in, but I didn't see how we could get our money out. And it was also pretty clear that you had to be friendly 
with the Chinese Communist Party, because I, I mentioned to Bob Lighthizer, he, he'll tell you flat out that he thinks virtually every company in China is directly or indirectly controlled by the party. And so you're doing business with, uh, with uh, non-economic actors who have a, uh, a much deeper agenda than just simply entering into a free trade or you know, good trading arrangement. Um, and then that's all changed. I think we're still facing up to the fact that we may have $2 trillion invested in China not in public companies, but in the all the private investments we have with the multinationals. I believe uh, Merck has got a billion-dollar-plus research facility um, just out of Beijing, outside of Beijing, and that's all there. And if we do get into something hot with China, you know, the value of those investments run, drops to zero, and China will own that, and uh, you know they'll they'll have an edge now. Of course, there's an awful lot that China needs from us, and so it's almost like it's a, it's a circular firing squad. If they shoot us, we shoot them. I, you know, so that's why when people start gaming out a hot war in Taiwan, I, I really wonder about whether that's actually what they want to do. In fact, I think about it. You did something that was really smart. You gamed out four or five or six scenarios. For how a how a war or how China might move against Taiwan, and I don't want to turn the interview around, but I thought it was really interesting how you uh, had a what you had an encirclement strategy, you had a bypass strategy, you had a kinetic strategy, and I can't remember the other two, but it was uh, it was fascinating. Oh, thank you, Bill. Well, I'll I'll be giving a very abbreviated version of that at CPAC on uh, on Thursday. I think it's two p.m. We have a slot, so I'll give a, a brief, uh, you know, the six, she's uh, six possible courses of action. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I think they like to beat us without, of course, they're, they're savvy. They don't want to, they don't want to, they'd like to collapse us. And that's as opposed to the, the Soviets were just stupid. Um, they, uh, they understand economics and finance, uh, the Chinese do, and, and they want to collapse us. Um, that having to fight us. What, what do you mean, collapses? Well, using unrestricted warfare to uh, collapse yeah. our society, uh, whether it's fentanyl, 10,000 dead a month, um, you know, I count 14 conflicts uh, ongoing right now, their brush, their arson campaign. Um, Bill, I'll tell you what, we're up at the, at the wall against this segment. Let's come back uh, in just a moment, and we're going to continue this on. Thank you so much. Uh, this is Colonel Rhett John with my, my uh, very special guest, Bill Walton, uh, on the uh, National Security Hour for America Out Loud News Network. Expert opinions, honest debate, and in-depth investigations are what you've come to expect from AmericaOutloud.news. We don't shy away from speaking the truth boldly and plainly. All that's missing is the propaganda that has infected legacy and social media. Get the best of down and dirty, wholesome American speak. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio liberty and justice for all.
World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. Asiya believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel and be our very best. Our customers will tell you how our products have made a difference for them, from improving immune health, regulating hormone balance, supporting gut health, to soothing the skin, even reducing the appearance of wrinkles, fine lines, and cellulite, and providing targeted support for mind, mood, energy, and even our body's own production of collagen. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in becoming your best self and fulfilling your greatest potential. ASEA, we power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today. We're back. This is Colonel Rhett John on the National Security Hour with my special guest, Bill Walton. And we're just having a fantastic uh, conversation uh, about a number of things, a uh, number of things. And uh, that's why I think podcasts are so interesting and conversations with the right people are a place I think you can be really rewarded, much more so than watching TV or or even listening to the radio um, in, in your car. We've got so many commercial breaks. Yeah, no, so I, that's my riff on on podcasting. <laughs> I knew we were going to talk about finance, but uh, I, I diverge. <laughs> no, no, this is this is great. It's all it's it's all together. Yeah, and I I uh, uh, I just I'm grateful. Uh, I was actually down in Panama, uh, and uh, I did a did a segment with the the National Security Hour, the America Out Loud folks, and and they asked me if I could do a podcast. Uh, so uh, that's how it all started. Uh, but uh, yeah, well, it's a good show. It's a good show. I like your format. Oh, oh well, thank you so much, Bill. It's, it's an honor for you to, to say that. Uh, yeah, yeah, thank you. But uh, yeah, the Singaporeans, I just one thing I, I loved, it's just been, you know, 40 years of national security service in the special operations community. And you know, I did a lot, a lot of international partnership, working with international partners. And one thing, the Singaporeans, a lot, of, a lot of great international partners. I love them all. The Taiwanese, the Japanese, the Estonians, the Brits, all of them. But the, the, the Singaporeans are the ones that you can actually joke with. And they have a, just a wonderful sense of humor. Everybody else, you got it doesn't, 
doesn't quite work or translate. You got to be really careful about joking around, but oh my, they have a wonderful sense of humor. They're just, they're just wonderful to work with. I mean, just, just great. Yeah. Well, I remember from my Wall Street days in the eighties, it was the Chinese, not the Chinese, or it was, it was the Japanese mm -hmm. and they were very tough to communicate with. That was, <laughs> that was, <laughs> you had all these issues with face and, pecking order and and oh my god that was you know we would spend an inordinate amount of time trying to communicate without offending somebody <laughs> and, and it was and but you know but they were they wanted to do deals so we eventually uh greed went run out and so we <laughs> we got along with them well enough because we could speak the common language of money <laughs> absolutely yeah that, that's yeah yeah right on um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love the Japanese too. They really uh, are coming around and so much. Uh, really, uh, uh, especially I love the way they work with the South Koreans. That was always a challenge to get them work together. Well, you always you you sound you seem much more attuned to these cultures, and particularly with your background. But in that area, you get a bunch of Wall Street guys, you know, and we're, you know, we're doing deals, you know, and we want to get things done, and the Chinese take uh, one month two months, six months, <laughs> <laughs> building consensus. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yes, and that's what I just, in, in my work, you, a yes could mean for many of these, these countries. Now, if it's, if you get a yes from a Singaporean, a yes means a yes, and they want yeah. to expect action, action, action. But many other countries will say yes, and that yes could mean just about anything. Uh, right. American, right. American hears them say yes. Well, they said yes, and then you learn you learn real quick. Uh, yes could mean just about anything, <laughs> and it could mean years longer. On yeah. Well, I've been I've been in there, been yeah. in that mode. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've had seen it. Uh, so what what do you think? Uh, with the Chinese here, um, she is acting in a lot of non-economic ways. And, uh, and also maybe there's a kind of a two part question. You know, they have two strategic liabilities that are, that are potentially deadly. And, you know, you know, it, Navarro knows it, Trump knows it, but it's like food and energy, food and energy. I mean, and water. And okay, water, yeah, yeah, water and water. Okay, um, you know, and 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 my understanding is most of that they have to import fifty percent of their protein. And where does most of that protein come from? North Carolina and Iowa and hog hog production. Mm -hmm. um, but but she's acting in a lot of non-economic ways. Is it just he's thrown thrown economic sense out the window, and he's just ready to go to the mat with us or what do you think's going on i think my take is pretty similar to yours he's acting in non-economic ways he's he's made it china uninvestable the amount of direct investment in china has plummeted i was looking at a chart it was i know we're doing right we're doing sound only but it's a it, it's dropped 90 percent in the last year and you know consequently uh you conclude that he doesn't care and you also conclude that 
for businesses in China, you you want to be able to make an investment in China, you need to do due diligence. And he has shut down all the due diligence and investigative shops on grounds of national security because he does not want people finding out about China. So he's pretty much shut the door uh, to people doing business in China. And most people I know are trying to figure out a, a graceful or even other ungraceful way to get out. Uh, and it, it seems to me like his end game is, is sort of devil take the hindmost when it comes to his population. You could look at the extreme, the egregious lockdowns he did last year on, on and COVID is sort of a, a test case to see how much his people would put up with. Um, and the what he's doing to the middle class now, you know, the market uh, stock, the real estate market bubble has burst, and most people had half their savings in in real, in, in real estate. About 20% of Chinese have money in the stock market. Stock market's fallen 40, 50, 60% in the last six months. And you know what he's done? You know, the security regulators have come in and made it illegal. You can buy securities, but you can't sell securities. <clears throat> and I'm not exactly sure how that trade is supposed to work, but it doesn't show a, a deft understanding of, of, of the market. <laughs> And so he he either has a ten ear, he just doesn't care. And there's been a lot of there are a lot of people trying to leave China now, and he's put the uh, he's put the uh, kibosh on that. Uh, all sorts of people trying to trying to sneak their capital out, sneak their family out. Um, you know, it looks like he's gearing up for something uh, pretty rough. I, I don't see any. He doesn't seem to be playing a long game anymore. And the Chinese were known for their long game. What what they call it hide and bide, you build your you build your capability and bide your time, mm. and hide your hide your capability and bide your time. That was the strategy for twenty five years. That seems to be uh, that doesn't seem to be what they're doing at all right now. Yeah, you you mentioned a couple of things there. You know. I mean, uh, people leaving China, and he's put you know, trying to leave. Trying to leave. Okay, so let's talk about Chinese nationals first. I mean, we're seeing this influx up through Panama. When I was in Panama at the end of last year watching that, um, that's clearly an issue. But I, I don't know how much this is on your radar screen. But what has also alarmed me is uh, a number of people have approached me, said, hey, you know, we got uh, loved ones in China right now. And I said, well, without causing a panic you need to start implementing an exfil or an exfiltration plan um, um they've also um uh the number of american nationals that are being held against their will and we're talking about business types i mean i, mean, I don't know how much you, you've heard about this or it's on your radar screen business types who are like american national who works in beijing hey i need to go back to america for this or that and they go uh, you're not going anywhere so I don't know how much you've been. Is this is this kind of on your radar? Screen? Yeah, I've, I'm I'm hearing that. Okay, I'm hearing that. Particularly yeah. the Chinese. Well, the but most of the American or uh, international firms in China have an off, an awful a big percentage of their employees are Chinese, mm -hmm. and they're behave they're behaving very roughly with them, and they're terrified. Mm -hmm. uh, but the non Chinese people are still feeling like uh, there've been some detained. Um, 
And, you know, what that does is that word gets around that that's happening. It has a chilling effect on everybody. And it's sort of a, a quiet reign of terror. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one of the best elements of the Department of Defense is they're called the Joint Personnel Recovery Agency uh, here in Northern Virginia. And uh, it's their job to track all Americans being held against their will. And that's, you know, uh, so I'm... I'm bit familiar with them and their job and and I, my, my count is maybe three to five hundred Americans at a minimum being held against their will that doesn't mean they're they're interned or in prison they just can't leave China it's normally a bad indicator um, well it's a terrible indicator I mean that you know I mean yeah well I I've I I'm I'm privileged to realize that I can't go to China anyway because they I've done a few shows on China and they I don't think they approve of me and they, <laughs> and they should I mean I, I'm here to help them <laughs> no yeah. it's 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 and and you know it's interesting I read an article in Forbes about Steve Schwarzman I worked at Lehman Brothers Kuhn Loeb and it was still a private partnership before it went through the whole American Express Lehman Brothers thing it was a very, very nice, neat place to work. And Steve Schwarzman's office was about three doors down from mine. And he had gone in big time in China and set up something called the, I think it's the either the Schwarzman Partners or the Schwarzman Scholarships, working to create the equivalent of a road scholarship in, uh, in Beijing. And I think he personally invested a couple hundred million dollars, $300 million, very close to Xi and the whole Chinese thing. And I'd skim the article, so I may have missed it, but there was a long profile of what Blackstone is doing. And I didn't see a word about China. And so they're quietly redeploying, but they're not making a big deal out of it. And you know, she came to San Francisco and met with all the masters of the universe, private equity people and investors in a, in a meeting. And it was, it was expensive. It was $40,000 to get 10 tickets. And and everybody was fairly disgusted that the private equity people stood up in a standing ovation for Xi. But I had a little different take on it. I think, I think they had to mm -hmm. because they've got so much capital in there that they couldn't be seen to do anything but show this guy love and it's a love they don't feel but if you don't do it you got a real problem yeah 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 no i, I think that's a that's a good way to look at it and you, you don't want to well it may or may not be right but that's that's my take on it yeah 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 no that's that's good that's good um the uh well let's see here we got we got just a couple of minutes here uh real quick on the exfiltration of capital it, uh, you know i've gone to vancouver british columbia about to go back up there I always it's always interesting to see the the chinese communist party bigwigs filling up their cars at a gas station uh, in vancouver british columbia and you can always tell you know you know they ask them well what are you what are you doing here oh, i'm just visiting my house and uh, you know which is exploded house prices up there and you know I look at it two ways. One, they're they're sneaking money out. Two, some people say, ah, that's their spy base to take over Canada. And I go, well, maybe, but I think it's also a place to land when things go south <laughs> back back home. Sure. 
Yeah. Hey, uh, Bill, we're coming up to the end. This has just been a wonderful segment. We're going to have to do this two or three more times here. This is, yeah, this, this like you I'm said. up for it. I'm <laughs> up for it. I'm, uh, but, uh, you know, this, as I said, this is, an, you know, you're a very interesting man. I The, the, the ret part, I suppose that's, uh, is that Rhett as in Rhett Butler or is that Rhett as in retired? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Colonel Rhett John is <laughs> Colonel RET, uh, retired John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, I, I like your show because you don't, you, 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 uh, you allow us to wander into interesting places, which is uh, not, not that often uh, the case. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Joe Rogan in an hour. So we just, uh, you know, uh, yeah, thank you. So how do people get to Bill Walton? What are your grid coordinates on how people? Well, it's pretty easy. The BillWaltonShow.com. My Twitter handle is WM Bill Walton. The BillWaltonShow.com gets you to the website, but we're also on YouTube and Rumble and I've got a, a spot, spot on a Spotify where we also post our show, and we're on all the major audio podcast platforms, and and uh, it's it's an interesting place. It's it's sort of a boutique show because I, I I don't really have much of a promotional bone in my body, so most of the audience we've got has been organic growth, and it's nice. And a lot of people, and and we do. I try to do the same thing you do, which is to have a real conversation and dig into things and not do uh, you know three minute uh, sound bites where you just hit the hit the tip of the iceberg oh great no thank you bill yeah yeah no that's uh hey we'll go we'll I, I write a little bit of a script and a plan and uh but I, I throw that right out the window we'll go wherever we're gonna go so uh yeah thank you so much bill it's been such an honor having you on the show and we'll definitely thanks for thanks for including me I've really enjoyed it it's. Uh, uh, I hope I was. Uh, as, as I said to my, yeah, you know, I think I hope we were interesting. I think we may. I think we may have been in parts. Yeah. Oh no. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Great. All right, everyone. This is uh, Colonel Rhett John with my special guest, Bill Walton. Uh, this has been the National Security Hour for America Out Loud News Network. Mm-hmm.